Don't go down to the river, child. Don't go there alone. For the wailing woman, wet and wild, might claim you for her own. She weeps when the sun is murky red. She sobs when the moon is old. She cries for the baby still and dead, who drowned in the water cold. Abandoned by a faithless love, filled with fear and hate, she flung them from a cliff above and left them to their fate. Day and night she hears their screams, born on the current's crest. Their tortured faces fill her dreams and give her heart no rest. Crazed by guilt and dazed by pain, weary from loss of sleep, she leapt into the river, lashed by rain, and drowned in the waters deep. She seeks her children day and night, wandering lost and cold. She weeps and moans in dark and light, a vengeful, restless soul. Don't go down to the river, child. Don't go there alone. For the wailing woman, wet and wild, will claim you for her own. La Llorona, from Ghost Stories of Old Texas, by Zanita Fowler. Are you guys and gals out there in the hinterlands? As always, it's Rock, and I'm here with my co-host with the most, Max. And as always, we're going to be your guys as we traverse the halls of all things supernatural here at Nightmares and Daydreams. Welcome, party people. Yeah. So, Rock, you know what's exciting? I know many things that are exciting, but I figure you have something specific in mind. Dude, this is the first episode of our second season. Season two, people. I know. And I will agree, Max, that is super exciting. And honestly, who would have thought? A couple of regular nerds like us sharing our love of folklore and mythology with all the people out there. Kind of cool, huh? It's nice to create and complete for once, isn't it? Absolutely. While I do like to drink and dream, (laughs) you're absolutely right, my man. And like we were talking about during our break, we literally couldn't have done it without you, our listeners. So all jokes aside, a true heartfelt thanks from Max and myself and from our tech and music master, the awesome and talented Teresa Joy. 100%. Thanks so much for your positive comments and reviews. And please keep sharing our little podcast with your friends. Yes. It helps us grow and gets us out there to folks who really appreciate what our team is doing here at Nightmares and Daydreams. Well said, amigo. So to all you new listeners and subscribers out there, we'd like to extend a laurel and hearty handshake and welcome you to the show. <laughs> Dear Lord. And so it begins. You caught that, huh? And here I thought I was being slick. (laughs) For those of you who didn't catch it, Rock made a quick reference to the Mel Brooks classic Blazing Saddles with that Laurel and Hardy line. And nope, Rock, you're not doing a Blazing Saddles review. Fair enough, man. And honestly, I think many of our younger listeners probably don't know who Laurel and Hardy are. Or Mel Brooks, for that matter. The sacrilege. He's a genius. Young Frankenstein still gets me to this day. I'm more of a history of a world guy myself, but I'll agree, both are classic films. So, moving on. And we're not even talking about Robin Hood Men and Tights. Okay. (laughs) Can you give our new listeners a rundown, just a quick thing, like a laundry list of what we do here at Nightmares and Daydreams? Of course. 
Rock and I are going to discuss and debate our way through all things paranormal, legendary, and monstrous. Oh, and fun. Yes, fun. Max, as we say, fun is important. It's the funnest. I agree, but do you want to know it's not funny? I have this strange feeling you're going to tell me. Being lied to and abandoned by your significant other, drowning your children, killing yourself, and then being forced to wander the earth searching for their bones until Judgment Day. Wow. Yeah, there's absolutely zero fun in that sad scenario. Nope, no fun at all. And that sad story is what we're talking about this week, dear listeners. The legend of La Llorona, the weeping woman out of Mexican folklore. Not to be confused with the motion picture that was released last year? Not at all. Uh, did you see that flick, Max? I didn't, actually. I, I wanted to. I know we both talked about going, but mm-hmm. I never caught it. You? Yeah, of course. I thought it was a solid flick. There were some good scares, but it was still nothing compared to the stories my family used to tell us regarding La Llorona haunting the banks of the Guadalupe River in our neck of the woods. Hit a little closer to home, I guess. You got it. I lived literally a couple of miles from the Guadalupe River when I was a kid. And to add another layer of danger, several kids I grew up with drowned in that river. So when our parents told us to stay away from the Guadalupe River, it was sound advice. Dang, kids you know actually drown? Oh yeah. Obviously a super dangerous place to go explore as a kid. But we went anyway. That said, we only went during the daytime. And of course, some kids whispered that La Llorona had drowned those poor kids that we knew that strayed too close to the water. Those cautionary tales of La Llorona kept you and your rapscallion friends away at night, I guess. Damn right they did. We wanted zero part of the river at night. I mean, La Llorona was no joke. Throw into that the fact that lechuzas were often sighted in the old neighborhood, and that's a recipe to keep a kid in at night after the sun goes down. All right, going old school and referring to La Lechuza, the subject of our very first podcast. Mm-hmm. Go check that out if you haven't already. So, Rock, for those listeners out there who aren't familiar with the legend, can you give us a quick breakdown of La Llorona? Especially since you literally grew up a couple miles from her stomping grounds in South Texas? Of course. So this is a quick summation of the La Llorona legend. And by the way, La Llorona translates to wailing woman or weeping woman. But it goes like this. A beautiful but poor woman, usually indigenous, often named Maria, falls in love with a handsome, wealthy man, usually Spanish or part of the Mexican noble class. And they're smitten, and he wants her for his bride, but his family refuses because of her station. She's a peasant, basically. In some tales, they live together, while in others, he marries her and gets disowned. They have a couple of kids, but soon as money runs out, and this guy's used to the finer things in life. And his family says they'll welcome him back. But he has to marry a new socialite arriving from Spain, a woman of his station. So this takes place in Mexico, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad. Yeah, uh, colonial Mexico. But the legend goes back much further, and we'll get into that later. Okay. I just wanted to confirm so our listeners know where we're at geographically. Of course. So the handsome Spaniard agrees to marry this new woman for his old plush life back. You know, the cigars and the wine and the high-end cervezas. He goes back and tells his wife, uh, or his baby mama, depending on what story, that it's over. He's out. He abandons her. What about the kids? Well, in some legends, he wants to keep the kids. And in others, he doesn't care about her or the kids. And like I said earlier, in some versions, he doesn't marry her, but promises to marry her if she gets rid of the kids. And I suppose the logic behind this is that he doesn't have any ties to her so that he can move on forward 
and marry someone of his station freely. Dang, she got Madam Butterflied. Mm-hmm. Like, he's had his fun with the peasant woman, but now he has to move on and doesn't want any loose ends. Exactly. Either way, she's manipulated by this guy. And whatever version of the legend you subscribe to, she's devastated after he leaves. And in her anguish and desperation, she ends up drowning the kids. In some instances, because she thinks she can't provide for them, while in others, it's out of anger at her husband's betrayal. Some legends claim she threw them off a cliff into a raging river. Others that she drowned them in a canal or lake. But the end of the sad tale is that once the deed is done, she kills herself out of guilt after she realizes what she's done. Now, because she's killed her own children, she must wander the earth until Judgment Day, searching for them. And Max, there are literally hundreds of versions of this legend, and it's very regional. Gotcha. But the dangerous part of the legend, the cautionary part, is that if she's out and sees anyone near the river or whatever body of water she's haunting, she'll take you instead of her kids, right? That's the universal gist, yeah. Like, if you're hanging out by the river, canal, pond, what have you, at night, and you hear the infamous phrase, ay, mis hijos, which means, oh, my kids, my poor children, you hear that, you better run. That's pretty sound advice. So she supposedly drowns them. Mm-hmm. Whatever kids she can get her hands on? According to the lore, yeah. Wow, talk about someone getting the short end of the stick. Some serious patriarchal themes in that tale. Not very cool. Absolutely, 100% not cool. Okay, quick question. Are there any other places she apparently haunts besides bodies of water? Again, it's very regional. I've heard tales from the Aransas Pass area that she haunts the railroad tracks around there. But then again, Aransas Pass is right on the Gulf of Mexico, so still very close to a body of water. There's the connection with water, which we'll see is pretty prevalent with the legend. I've also come across mentions that she haunts the docks in Chicago. And get this, she has a horse's head. Great. Now she's a shapeshifter. Though you'd think she'd have some sort of water creature's head instead of a land-bound horse, Kano? Any creature's head atop a human body is going to scare the living hell out of whoever sights it, right? Though... Some seafaring creature might be more appropriate, don't you think? Maybe an otter or something? Ah, where otter? Now we're getting into the Kushtaka, the land otter man out of Clinket lore. <laughs> Literally, Max, a podcast for another day. I love that legend so much, and it's definitely one we have to delve into. Sounds good to me. Where otter? That'll be a good one. So, any other locations she frequents? Again, very regional, and almost all are near bodies of water. In New Mexico, it's said she walks the banks of the Santa Fe River and has been sighted in small creeks and lakes in the regions of Guadalupe and Mora. It's so interesting. It's almost like she's a water-based spirit or creature. Very similar to Peg Powler or Jenny Greenteeth, the water hags we talked about last season in episode two. Absolutely. Jenny and Peg run along the same lines as La Llorona, haunting small ponds or waterways looking to waylay the kids foolish enough to be near. The main difference is both Peg and Jenny are cannibal water hags while La Llorona takes the kids in lieu of her own missing children. Yeah, she just drowns the kids. Way more friendly. <laughs> Point taken. So La Llorona is yet another legend that serves as this tool, or can serve as this tool to keep kids away from bodies of water, which, as we talked about, are intrinsically dangerous. Absolutely. Folklorist Catherine Briggs called water haunts like Peg Powler and Jenny Greenteeth. And I guess you could argue La Llorona serves a similar purpose, if you don't believe in her, as nursery bogies, because they were, at least in her opinion, created to keep kids safe from natural hazards. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, it didn't work 100% with you because you still went to the river when you were a kid, but... Roughnecks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least you stayed away at night because of the legend, so I guess it's effective. Yeah, you know, and as we talked about before, parents have a ton of stories in their arsenal to scare kids into behaving, especially Mexican parents, man, ruthless. They don't hesitate in busting out the devil, like going straight to the main, you know, boogeyman and scaring their <laughs> kids into being good. And we used to talk about it back at the UT co-op days. Growing up, I just assumed all these boogeymen were real. And we had to walk that line between belief and disbelief and kind of being bad and being good, right? I want to believe. Fox Mulder. You ready for a story? You know I am. My abuelo and uncle saw La Llorona once. They told us this story many times when we were kids. And maybe it was to keep us away from the river. But the story was always the same. It never changed. So to us kids, that made it even more true. It goes like this. Abuelo Louis and my two uncles, Leo and John, were going fishing. They would go fishing at night along the Guadalupe, fishing for catfish and alligator gar. It was kind of a party. They would have a great time, bring some food, maybe a few beers even. They would make a night of it. But they never got drunk and always came home with plenty of fish, which they would fry up the next day and invite all the family over. So the night they went, the river was kind of wild. Rains had made it kind of fast and dangerous, and so they decided to fish off the banks instead of taking Grandpa's small boat out. Better safe than sorry, right? So they bring out the chairs, set the rods out, turn on their lanterns, and relax. Everything is fine, the radio is playing softly, and they're chatting. Soon Uncle Leo has to go relieve himself, so he heads off to do so. Abuelo said this is when things got weird, made the hairs on his arms and neck stand up. A fog rolled in, just like in a scary movie, he told us, and things go quiet, like all the bugs stopped doing their noises and whatnot. At first, they thought the sound was coming from the radio. It was like a lady crying. What's that noise? Abuelo asked Uncle John. It's the radio. No, it's not. Listen. They turn off the radio and the sound, the unmistakable sound of a woman crying, sobbing, is clear. Clear but distant. They get up and start walking towards the sound. My Theo John in front with the lantern. The sound is getting louder and they're both getting creeped out. As they're walking towards the sound, they hear running coming towards them, heavy footsteps, breathing. Who's there? They call out. It's my Uncle Leo running towards them, and he looks like he's seen a ghost. He's white as a sheet. What's wrong? Abuelo asks. La Llorona, Uncle Leo breathes heavily. It's her. My Abuelo and two uncles look in the direction that Uncle Leo came from and see a slim figure in white making her way towards him through the trees along the riverbank, and the sound of her crying is very near. They run back toward their small camp and jump in the truck, leaving their rods and reels, leaving everything there as they speed away up the dirt road away from the river. Abuelo said he had never been so scared, but he had never felt that kind of fear before in his life. They returned the next morning to retrieve their things, and all the rods were snapped in half. Their little camp was torn apart. Who knows? It might have been kids, vandals out after dark, that broke their things. But my abuelo and uncles both believe it was La Llorona they saw that night. And they believe it was she that destroyed their camp, angry that she wasn't able to drown them in the dark waters of the Guadalupe River. 
Honestly, I would have done the same thing. What's that? Rented a wedding dress so I could sneak out <laughs> around the river at midnight to scare superstitious fishermen. Well, that is your hobby, dressing up in wedding dresses and scaring folks, yeah? It's a passion for sure, scaring folks. What do you think of the story in general? Well, the story definitely follows the usual tropes of La Llorona sightings. The figure in white, the wailing aspect, the woman, the time late at night, location near a body of water. You kind of doubt it? It's not that I doubt it, but further verification would have been nice. Like what? You're saying that if they had stuck around and maybe one of them had gotten taken by this entity, then it would have been more legit? Definitely more legit. Yeah, exactly. But... Even then, it would have all been hearsay. Just another missing person. I have to be honest. The broken rod seems suspicious to me. How so? Like, to me, that clearly seems like kids being idiots destroying property. Well, clearly you don't know fishing equipment. It's expensive. That's true. And my take is any kids wandering around at that hour would be like score and take the rods and reels and sell them if nothing else. Breaking them just doesn't make much sense to me. That sounds sensical. Hooligans pawning found sporting equipment, but there's nothing in the lore that points to her destroying personal property. Who knows? She might have been in a particularly bad mood that night. <laughs> and maybe she's more territorial than we think. Sending a message to others, trespass at your peril. I mean, I guess. Okay, so let me get this straight, Fox Mulder, you're wanting to believe. <laughs> you're saying that in that situation, late at night, and this part of the story is a hallmark of paranormal activity when the environment just stops doing its thing. Everything gets unnaturally quiet, like the very land is holding its breath when your sixth sense is screaming at you to get the hell out of there. You're telling me you would have stayed and scientifically chronicled your encounter with La Llorona. Yes, exactly. You know, if you had Shag and Scooby by your side, you would have made tracks out of there, my friend. I know you. <laughs> well, I mean, not if I had my Scooby snacks. But I suppose if they didn't, then yeah, maybe discretion is a better part of valor, as they say. Without a mace of disruption or the holy hand grenade of Antioch, I agree. You got to get the hell out of there. I guess it's a good thing we're not paranormal investigators, right? Mm-hmm. We'd be out of the house so fast at the slightest noise. Exactly, man. We walk in our house, Alexa goes off, we're out the front door, we're like, leave. There's an evil spirit in your house. It's trying to order you stuff from Amazon. Run. See, that's why we don't work out in the field. Strapping on the proton packs and getting slimed. True. We love talking about it. We don't enjoy being in the trenches. Though it seems your house brownie that we discussed last season in our hauntings episode is making its presence known in your abode again, yeah? What's up with that? Yeah, it's pretty weird. I think we'll get into this later on in the season. It can be disconcerting for sure. You know, Max, maybe you just uh, leave that bowl of milk out or maybe a small set of clothes. He'll take them, drink the milk, wear the clothes, and he'll be out of your place in a New York minute. I don't know. I mean, if I'm honest, a part of me doesn't really want him to leave, so maybe just the milk. <laughs> but, okay, so moving on. When we were researching this subject, a name I continually ran across was La Malinche a Nahua woman known as Marina. Ah, yes. The conquistador Hernán Cortés's baby mama, La Malinche. She was an indigenous woman who served as translator for the Spanish as they began their conquest of Mexico, right? Around the 16th century? Yeah, though she was, 
and I guess continues to be many things to many different people in Mexico. Hated traitor, evil temptress, or even one of the founding figures of Mexico as a nation. She's even proposed by some to be the origin of the legend of La Llorona. You know, we could go on and on in regards to La Malinche, a very complex figure in Mexican history, but hit on the reasons for her being connected to the La Llorona myth. So her story fits many of the roles in the legend. Cortez is the Spanish man who takes her as his own. She's the beautiful indigenous woman who's by his side. She has a child with him in 1522, according to the records, a boy they named Martin. Did Cortez leave her for a lady from the motherland? Did she drown Martin? They never married. She had a son, and he built a house for her in Coyoacan, near the Aztec capital, and then he abandoned her. After she's no longer at Cortez's side, she marries a man named Juan Yaramil, another Spanish nobleman, and she has a child with him as well. Wow, so Cortez uses her for her translation skills, has a kid with her, builds her house, and then takes off. Appears so. Anyway, their child, Martin, is apparently taken away and raised by Cortez's Spanish family. Matches aspects of the legend where the Spaniard wants the child, I guess, like some of the La Llorona stories. And Cortez was already married to mm-hmm. a Catalina Suarez when he arrived in Mexico. So he obviously never intended to marry La Malinche in the first place. Just use her for translation skills. And other things. Yes. Looking at it, I can totally see the correlation between the legend of La Llorona and La Malinche. Super interesting and a bit unfair in her role as an evil temptress, in my opinion. She was this woman put into a horrible situation that made the only decision she could to keep herself alive at the time. I definitely agree. But then again, we don't live in Mexico. It doesn't hit as close to home for us. That said, there are a lot of similarities between her story and that of La Llorona. So, ready for a story? You know it. Stay away from the canals around Phoenix, or La Llorona will take you. At least that's what our grandma always says to us. She was raised in New Mexico and claimed La Llorona could travel through one body of water to another. That's why she was sighted all over the desert southwest. Grandma said she could be on the banks of the Rio Grande one minute, haunting the Santa Fe River the next, and then stalking the canals in Phoenix soon after. All in her search for the children she drowned so long ago. Trying to find their remains so that she could stop her endless wandering. My cousin Johnny is a big runner and his favorite place to run has always been along the canals that are in Phoenix. The trail is hard packed dirt so it's easier on the knees, he always said. Well this one time Johnny is stuck at work longer and not able to get his run in till after dark, which is no biggie. Running in the dark happens a lot during the winter. So the story goes, he's off for his run, has his headphones on, and is hitting his stride when he notices a figure in the distance, kind of hanging around under a streetlight. He doesn't think anything of it, just another person walking the canals. He continues on. But as he does, this feeling starts to hit him, this fight-or-flight sensation. He looks ahead and the figure, he can see it's a woman or a girl and she's dressed in a white dress and she's just standing there, just so still, like a statue. And she has her arms out toward him like she's welcoming him or something. Johnny stops and takes his headphones off and he said his heart was beating so fast he couldn't hear anything at first. Then he started hearing this woman crying 
just like in anguish. He could feel her despair and her cries sound like they're coming from all around him. And as he's looking closer, he realizes she's floating, hovering above the little trail. Now, my cousin is a big guy, former military, and he doesn't scare easily, but he was out of there. Never ran so fast in my life, he apparently told our grandma. He won't talk about it anymore, but to everyone in our family, and especially to our grandma, he saw La Llorona that night. See, now I kind of like that theory. What theory? The grandma's theory, and the story that La Llorona can travel from one body of water to another to complete her mission of finding her children and drowning the wayward jogger or fisherman. It is pretty cool, actually, and that ability kind of changes her into a water elemental of sorts, yeah? Well, if we're going old-school D&D, definitely. I mean, not 5th edition. No, no, I'm thinking 3.5 or older. I mean, if a being can use the elemental plane of water to travel from one body (laughs) to another, I would for sure label that an elemental, Max. But this is the real world. She's obviously a water witch. Burn her. Burn her. But we can't, Max, because she's made of water. (laughs) So uh, did you like the previous story? Yeah. It's interesting how she's so closely related to water. For sure. And we even ran across some stories where she was sighted in places where she's not traditionally sighted because of floods or torrential rains. Super creepy and a bit unnerving. And again, the water elemental theory is sounding more and more plausible. Absolutely. So let's shift gears back to her possible origins besides La Malinche. Some posit that the roots of La Llorona's sad tale stems from Aztec lore. Seems plausible given the location. And also, every time I think of Aztec lore, I think of that great old Mexican restaurant on the east side of Austin, El Azteca. Do you remember that place, Max? Vaguely. We went there for the co-op dinner that one time. Man, you gotta start taking some ginkgo biloba. Did I go? It was such a good time. That's right. You were not there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's switching back to Aztec lore. So it goes at the Aztec goddess, Sihuacuatl, and she was known as the first woman in the world and was the goddess of fertility and motherhood. And she often appeared carrying an empty cradle, dressed in white, and walking through towns at night weeping. And get this, she would vanish after she would enter a river or lake, some body of water, she was gone. Boom, Max, wearing white, carrying an empty cradle, crying, disappearing into a lake. What do you think? That's literally 100% La Llorona right there, right? Origin found. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Solving crimes, baby, solving myths. I mean, seems pretty cut and dry to me. But here's another interesting tidbit on that part of Aztec lore. Women who died in childbirth were the only women who were allowed an afterlife. I think the Aztecs really needed to step up their afterlife game. I know, it's, it's like a veritable sausage fest up there, man. Screw that. <laughs> so then these poor women became what the Aztec call the spirits of these poor women who died during childbirth. So I guess that's a good thing? You'd think. But they became night spirits that haunted crossroads in service to the dark goddess Sihuapipiltin, the Aztec goddess of crossroads. So maybe not so good after all. Yeah, not a good thing. Crossroads again, though. That magical, mystical place. For those listeners who want to learn more about the crossroads, 
please check out our Inferno Pax episode from last season. It's a really good one. Or you could check out that Ralph Macchio movie, Crossroads. <laughs> Not that again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, focusing back on the Aztec Crossroads. So the spirits of these women, these Mokikwa Kwesekwe, became literal creatures of the night, tempting men, hunting women and children that strayed near the crossroads after dark. So yeah, not a peaceful afterlife whatsoever. So interestingly, the Greek goddess Hecate, whom we talked about in one of the previous episodes, mm-hmm. maybe Infernal Pax, I can't remember. It was absolutely Infernal Pax because Hecate reminded me of Tecate and you bought beers afterwards. So yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, she was the goddess of the crossroads as well. And some people think that she originated from the Egyptian goddess Heket, who is a goddess of fertility and childbirth. And in fact, one of her epithets mm. in the Greek religion was Kurotrophos, which is nurse of children. Kurotrophos. I like that, Max. That was a good pronunciation. I've been playing a lot of Assassin's Creed Odyssey, so my Greek <laughs> pronunciation is, is high right now. Yeah, you're pretty much an expert. Yep. That's pretty cool, actually. A lot of similarity between very different and, you know, far-flung cultures. But as to the restless dead, obviously no peace there. I'd like to bring up another entity out of Mexican folklore that has a definite link with water, the Tisiwa. Never heard of it. So the entity is a she, like La Llorona, and while she's not completely in sync with the legend of La Llorona, there are some similarities. First off, she figures prominently in the lore of the Chiapas, and she's a predator of lazy workers in the region. Mental note, stay the hell away from Chiapas. My work ethic is not appreciated there, apparently. <laughs> Same. I just canceled my vacation in the region. Wise move. So she targets young men who, instead of going to work at the ranch or farm as they're supposed to, they decide to hit up the local water spots and have a day of fun. As all strapping young slackers are wont to do. True. And as this young slacker is splashing about in the water in one of the many lakes or rivers of the region, he'll start to hear a low whistle. Lechusa, don't whistle back, young man. Run. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Not every whistle is lechusa, right? You can't be too careful in my old neighborhood, Max. Better safe than sorry, I reckon. Mm -hmm. But this lazy swimmer will hear a low whistle, followed by a clapping that will get louder and louder. And then a beautiful woman in a red dress will rise up from the water and beckon him towards her. Ah, like Kelly LeBrock on Weird Science wearing that red dress. (laughs) Okay, of course, La Llorona is typically spotted in a white dress. But, uh, so does she drown the guy? No, so she'll stay tantalizingly close to him, just out of reach. So he'll continue chasing her as she exits the water. So, long story short... What? I mean, does she lead him astray? Does she kind of get him to go off a cliff like a will-o'-the-wisp? No, she eventually makes her way back to his pile of clothes, because obviously he's swimming completely naked. Fuck ass naked. And she fills his hat with some sort of dark liquid... And then she grabs his hat and places it atop his head. And when this dark liquid touches the kid's head, he forgets everything. Who he is, what he was doing, where he is. So it's some kind of, like, black magic mind wipe? Seems so. I mean, then the kid just pines away, looking for Tisiwa. But if he's fortunate and his family finds him soon enough, they can get him to church. And apparently with some serious prayer and name-dropping of powerful saints, his mind can be restored. If not... He will live the rest of his days in a semi-vegetative state, always looking for Tisiwa. Okay, a sad fate to be sure, but one quick question. 
What if you're not wearing a hat for her to put her mind wiping magic water into, Max? <laughs> mm-hmm. mm, loopholes. You know, the stories don't really say. Okay, Chiapas vacation, back on, baby. <laughs> Stay away from wearing sombreros near legs and you're gold. Also, go to work and you should be safe. Although, it's not something I normally endorse. Exactly. Don't shirk your duties, y'all. Good things come to those who hustle. Not that we know anything about that. I mean, I'm generally anti-hustler. Agreed. Too much hustling gets in the way of fun. I mean, you've been known to hustle to the bar for a happy hour. That's for sure. <laughs> Half-price bar snacks are nothing to sneeze at, Max, okay? So, shifting gears, there are a plethora of myths that are similar to or have parallels with La Llorona. And since you're the classical studies guy, we have to at least give a shout out to Medea. Yeah, we should at least mention Jason's screwed over sorcerer's wife, though she was far from powerless. Those are great movies, Max. Medea Kills the Kids is my favorite. <laughs> you're ridiculous. <laughs> but that is where the corollary with Medea comes from, if you know the legend. She weds Jason of Argonaut's fame and helps him get the Golden Fleece, and in doing so, sacrifices her brother, among other things, to slow down pursuit. Just all sorts of suspect stuff, actually. Yeah, killing her kid brother is more than suspect. Agreed. In fact, she chops him up into little pieces so that Aedes, her dad, has to slow down to pick up the pieces. Not good. That's pretty damn gross, so not good is a bit of an understatement. Agreed. So basically down the road, Jason leaves her to marry another woman, a Greek woman, and in doing that, Jason kind of steps into the role of the Spanish nobleman who leaves La Llorona to be with another woman. Medea kills the kids in retaliation, along with a host of other things, mm -hmm. including killing Jason's new bride, and... She might have impulse issues, you think? True. Very brash. But I guess when you're a magic wielder, as well as Helios' granddaughter, you might have impulse issues, too. Yeah, it's kind of like the rules don't apply to me so I can wreak havoc with impunity. So I can see the connection, though. You know, Max, slight though it is between Medea and La Llorona. Yeah, but as we saw, there are innumerable myths that follow similar paths to La Llorona. So you ready for a story? You know I am. Her daughter lay dying. The town doctor stared at the young girl, all of six, who had come down with a mysterious fever that had taken a dozen lives in the small New Mexico town they lived in. He looked down at Anita and pursed his lips, frowning. When he noticed Maria, the young girl's mother, staring at him, he smiled slightly. You must rest, he said. There is hope. Go outside, get some fresh air. Maria nodded dumbly and stumbled outside and automatically walked to the small creek that lay outside their home. The moon hung high in the sky and cast small shadows. She sat on its bank and began crying hysterically, losing herself in her grief. What would she do without her daughter? Anita's father would never forgive her if the child died in her care. She would never forgive herself. In between her own sobs and prayers, she heard another source of anguish. Another woman crying, wailing in despair. And it was coming from the creek. Maria looked up, through tear-soaked eyes, and saw a figure, a woman dressed in white, wringing her hands and wailing in despair, making her way slowly towards the low waters of the creek. La Llorona, Maria thought, 
The sight of the spirit snapped her out of her misery, making her clutch the rosary she kept around her neck. She had to run. She had to get away. Bayerona would take her, and she wouldn't be able to raise Anita. They would miss her. Yet Maria couldn't move. It's like she was rooted to the spot as the spirit crept closer. Maria could see La Llorona's face, a young woman, beautiful, with tears of blood streaming down her cheeks. Maria saw her pain, and in that moment all of the despair at Anita's illness and her love for her own child bloomed in her heart, and her own wails matched La Llorona's, two mothers sobbing for their children. At that very moment the door to her own little house opened, and Maria heard the doctor calling her name. Maria, the fever is broken, she will live! Come back up. Maria's jubilation gave her legs strength and she bolted from the spot by the creek, running back towards her house. As she glanced over her shoulder, a pang of sadness hit her as she watched La Llorona's sad form turn around and continue her sorrowful hunt for her own children in the Lonesome Creek in New Mexico. So it seems she was attracted to Maria's own crying for her sick child, huh? It seems so. And there goes our water elemental theory again. Maria is alone with her grief one moment, and next, La Llorona is there stalking her in some little no-name creek by her house. Pretty terrifying. Though it seems that Maria and La Llorona, who was often named Maria, by the way, shared their grief for a moment toward the end of the story. Do you think... La Llorona let her get away, or the timing of the doctor with good news is what broke the spell? To me, it almost seems like the appearance of La Llorona presaged the convalescence of the sick kid. Like La Llorona is trying to make up for her own kid's deaths by maybe healing other kids? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool, though. Who knows? That's sort of a cool theory. You know, one aspect of the story that I ran across several times was that La Llorona cried tears of blood. Very vampiric in that aspect, huh? True. I actually ran across that as well. Though I gotta be honest, it would suck to be close enough to see what kind of tears she was crying, I guess. Oh, I agree. I've read that her face can, besides being that of a beautiful young woman, also be a horrifying hag or even a withered skeleton. Ugh. Either way, man, I want no part of that. Well, you know, you might, being that all of a sudden you need concrete evidence that people did indeed <laughs> encounter La Llorona or these other entities. I mean... I'm rethinking that, and I guess, you know, <laughs> maybe, you know, on a case-by-case -case basis, uh -huh, uh -huh. but I love the stories, and I have no desire to encounter her or any of the other beings or entities or monsters or whatnot that we've covered in the show. Wise thinking, amigo. So, I think we're done on this first episode of season number two here at Nightmares and Daydreams. Are we done, Max? We're done, Rock. And as always, lovely people, thank you so much for liking, subscribing, reviewing, following, and listening. All that. Which, if you haven't done, I know you're about to. It means a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and please, I know we sound like a broken record, but we desperately need reviews. Yes, we do. So, ladies and gents, please take that moment and give us a review on whatever podcast platform you use. That five star on Apple, Stitcher, whatever you listen to your podcast on. And that will help go a long way with us continuing to work on this passion project of ours. And please stop by and say hi on our Facebook page. Tweet at us, follow us on Instagram, or even score some fun merch at our website at nightmarespodcast.net. It's the funnest merch. 
The intro and outro music is Calliope's Call by the beautiful and amazing Teresa Joy. Find and follow her at Viobrite, V-I-O-B-R-I-T-E, on Facebook and Instagram. Also, go visit her at TeresaJoyMusic, all one word, dot com, and pick up some of her amazing music. And she has a new album, Gold Dust, which is spectacular. Agreed. It is indeed spectacular. All right. Ladies and gents, dogs and cats, once more, thanks for hanging out with Max and myself. And as always, sweet dreams. dreams.